The following podcast is scheduled for one fall. One fall! It's almost time for a new chapter of Geek Catch-Up to start. But before it does, Chris and I wanted to take a moment to send our love and appreciation out to all of you for choosing to hang out with us. If you enjoy Geek Catch-Up, then make sure to slam that subscribe button and help us level up the show by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on social media to get updates on all things GK, interact directly with us, and content from the world of geekery. Geek Catch-Up Podcast on Facebook and YouTube, at Geek Catch-Up Pod on Instagram and Twitter, links to all of which can be found in the show notes below and on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. If you'd like to support the shoe, there's even links to our Square Shop where you can find official GK merchandise like shirts and stickers. And Patreon if extra content is your thing. Above all, though, the absolute best thing you can do is spread the love for the world of geekery by sharing the Geek Catch-Up podcast with your friends and family. Now get ready to enjoy today's show, and as always, remember to to stay stay saucy. saucy. If it's nerdy, we're into it. Gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. We are Kyle Eckert and Chris Heck, two lifelong friends with a passion for the world of geekery. And this is the Geek Catch-Up Podcast. What's good, Geek Catch-Up family? Welcome to another Wrestling Recap, a series where we break down the action from the latest pay-per-view from the world of professional wrestling. I'm Kyle Eckerd. And I'm Chris Heck. And today, it's all about WWE SummerSlam 2021. Just the second WWE pay-per-view to feature full crowd attendance since the Thunderdome era, the biggest party of the summer had more hype than ever this time around. Hosted at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, the 34th annual SummerSlam had many firsts. It was the first WWE event to ever be broadcast in theaters throughout the United States. It was also the first SummerSlam to be aired live on a Saturday night. And it was the first SummerSlam to be held in an NFL stadium. WWE appeared to be finally giving its second biggest pay-per-view the treatment it deserves. However, the hype ended there because this pay-per-view never quite built the way it was billed. So full disclosure, we may skip over some breakdown pieces here to discuss the overall state WWE has put themselves in. The 11-match card was loaded top to bottom, though, so let's jump right into the action with the kickoff show match. That, of course, was Big E taking on Baron Corbin over the past week, two weeks. Baron Corbin has been trying to steal Big E's Money in the Bank contract, and that story played out over this match. Corbin came down with that contract, Big E battling to get it back. Eventually, Big E did get that win and stole his contract back. Chris, what did you think about this one? Actually, I, I had this as one of the better pre-show matches that I've seen, at least over the last few pay-per-views. And I guess that's to be expected because regardless of what's going on with Baron Corbin, he's really, really good in the ring. Yeah. And then, of course, we know Big E's great on the mic, in the ring. He can pretty much turn anything into gold, it seems. And so I thought that they had a good back-and-forth match from the get-go here. It's just so funny because Corbin is like a a huge conundrum for me because, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been a big fan of Corbin since we first saw him back in the NXT days. Yeah. And yet he's never quite gotten that level of like treatment and respect I would hope he would get in the main roster. You know, he's had a couple small titles here and there, King of the Ring, like some nods. Sure. But in between everything, it's always been more of this kind of goofy like, what is his character? Is he serious? Is he not? Yeah. He got the Baron for a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah, and I just want him to be more of what we saw in NXT, you know, end of days Baron Corbin, where he was just wrecking everybody and really showing off that power. And that's just not what we've gotten, at least, you know, especially over the last year of his career in the main roster. But the one thing I got to give him credit for is he leans into it. Yeah. he No matter what they seem to throw at him, he just makes it happen, and, and he's on TV every week. So I guess he's doing something right now, you know, even yeah. if it's not the level that I would like for him. Sure. I called him the Baron. It was the Constable. Oh, yes. The was. Constable. Yeah. The Constable. You're right. He leans into every gimmick they give him and he just tries to make the best of it. But yet the crowd still seems to just constantly hate Twitter, just constantly hates on Baron Corbin. But the dude is trying. So credit where credit is due. And but we'll move on here because nothing really of significance came out of this. Biggie got his contract back that he couldn't really lose because the contract can't be stolen it belongs to biggie and i thought it was really funny because that was the story they were trying to tell but cole and mcafee on announcing completely debunked the idea of what corbin was trying to do right i was like oh odd story choices here wwe and that is might be the theme of the rest of this wrestling recap so we're gonna go ahead and dive into the main show the kickoff match was the Raw Tag Team Championships with Omos and AJ Styles, the current champion, taking on RK Bro, that is Randy Orton and Matt Riddle. And as far as opening matches, this is probably one of the better matches of the overall night uh, because of everyone that's involved. AJ Styles is incredible. Randy Orton is a consummate professional. Riddle is an up-and-comer, and Omos is just a hoss. So we saw some solid tag team action early on. I thought Orton cupping his hands and doing the flip of Riddle, doing a corkscrew senton, I thought that was a pretty nifty little move. And then we saw some nice big guy, little guy stuff out of Omos and AJ. Yeah, it wasn't a bad match. I was a little disappointed here because, you know, when they first were getting started, I was taking some notes here just on the stadium and the entryway. But, you know, it was like a mile long, right? But just the ambiance as the show was getting started. Yeah. That new Raiders stadium looks awesome. It's like, you know, they had four levels of fans going from the the three decks and then, of course, those on the ground. So just wanted to give a call out there. All the screens running around. I mean, it was just a great venue. It looked like for a pay-per-view, especially the way WWE tends to just set everything up and get the stage and the ring together. So wanted to call that out. but. I have to say, I was kind of bummed because I was running a little late, so I was eating dinner as the pay-per-view started, and then I needed to take my stuff to the kitchen, you know, hit the bathroom real quick, and so I was like, I've got enough time. It had just started, you know? Yeah. And by the time I came back, it was like right as I walked to the TV, I saw I saw the ending, and I was like, what? I was like, damn. <laughs> like I, So I missed the, the meat and potatoes of it. Because it was just a, a lot shorter than I expected, given kind of the build. And yeah, AJ and, and Randy, these huge names. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit of a bummer. I think all in all, it went maybe 12 minutes. I didn't have my timer running like I usually do, but it was certainly a 10 to 15 minute match. Like I said, it was solid stuff all around. Nothing earth shattering, nothing insane. Uh, but like I said, we saw some big... Big guy, little guy stuff out of AJ and Omos. You know, Omos likes to throw AJ around, and that always looks cool. Right. But basically, what it all came down to was Riddle. Uh, Riddle was on the outside. He took out Omos by throwing him into the post. AJ caught that, so AJ goes to the outside, delivers a back-flipping DDT off the apron, 
I saw the replay of that. That yeah, was awesome. That yes. was pretty cool. Very athletic. But once again, when he goes to the outside and gets that bit of a distraction, when he comes back in, it gives Randy Orton. Once again, he's a legend. He's a legend killer. If you give him any sort of time, he's going to take advantage. So he gets the advantage back in the ring, eventually delivers that RKO and defeats AJ Styles. And you have RK Bro are your new Raw Tag Team Champions. Yeah, I was happy to see that. I think that right now they're just a little bit more entertaining For sure. than AJ and Omos. Like, but AJ and Omos had it early on when Omos hadn't wrestled yet, but now we kind of know what we're getting out of him. And I'm happy to hear at least that you mentioned, you know, the tag team move between Randy and Matt, you know, seeing them kind of coming together, even though the Viper is, you know, being really uh, hesitant about it. You know, it's like he doesn't want to, but he just can't say no to Riddle's enthusiasm. Right. Well, they they were a tag team for a while and then Randy disappeared for like three months and they never really explained where he went. So then Riddle was on his own. Yeah. But Riddle is incredibly entertaining. Like the guy just has charisma. Right. Oozing out like he's just so funny, comedic. And then you get him in the ring and he's got that MMA background. He fights barefoot so he can do strikes. He can do holds. Like He appears to be able to do some suplexes. So interested to see where riddle goes moving forward obviously he's going to tag with randy for a while hopefully hopefully establish his resume a little bit he's already a u.s champion previously now a tag champion so he's halfway to that grand slam championship status (laughs) i do expect them to build it to a true riddle versus randy match situation i mean we know we see that all the time in tag teams where they eventually break up and fight but I think just the way Randy is and and Riddle being that up-and-comer, I think it'll just make for a good story to help continue to put Riddle over. It's true, it's true. And Randy has given him an RKO before, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll happen again. It'll happen again, <laughs> but more officially. But we'll keep moving along here, because the next match was Eva Marie versus Alexa Bliss. This match had very few points. I think it went for maybe three minutes total, and... All that quite happened is we saw Eva Marie attack Lily, Alexa Bliss's little doll, and that set Alexa Bliss off. She went into a full-on rage mode, eventually got the win over Eva Marie, and then after the match ended, Dewdrop, which is Eva Marie's sidekick, kind of turned on her, I suppose, as she grabbed a mic, made an announcement that Eva had lost, then put on Eva's robe and strutted her stuff around the ring. Very confusing. All these competitors and their storylines right now are just very, very confusing. And especially for the Alexa Bliss stuff, I know people are either all in and they love it or they don't get it at all. And it's super confusing. Yeah, I mean, Alexis is still probably my favorite women's wrestler on the roster. You know, I I think she's another one that's kind of leaned into anything that they've given her and she's great in ring. And this gimmick where she's been all twisted version of herself, you know, coming from the Bray Wyatt stuff, I think that it's actually worked really well. I was happy to see they didn't just about face her when they released Bray. Yeah. But I do think that they need to figure out exactly how she fits in because, you know, they've been building this a little bit with Dewdrop and Eva Marie. So it's not like this match didn't make sense for what's been going on, you know, on Raw and things like that over the last few weeks. But at the same time, there was just nothing to it. Like it, it just felt more like, Hey, we just need something for Alexa. And then you've got, uh, Eva Marie here now trying to make this comeback Yeah, and they needed just something for her. So it, it felt forced. 
I will say I, I do think that it's nice to actually see Eva do some wrestling, and she yeah. did look a little bit better than maybe <laughs> when she first came around. Right. Wasn't as much of a botch fest, I felt, last night as we've seen in previous Eva Marie matches. But, yeah, either way, this was a dud. This should have been the pre-show match, and Baron and Big E should have been in this slot, in my opinion. That is fair. I would I would have been all aboard that switch right there. Uh, I'm not going to really give too many thoughts because it, it just doesn't quite deserve it. So we'll move along here to the Mario Lopez interviewing Orton and Riddle backstage. Uh, it was just kind of awkward, but it did transition us from that match to our next match, which was the United States Championship. I don't know, Chris, if you wanted to comment on Mario Lopez showing up at SummerSlam. No, when I saw EC, I was a little surprised. I did not expect that. But really, I thought what was cool, I mean, it was a decent interview, even though it was definitely a little odd. Yeah. Um, But what was cool was it kind of set off this trend throughout the event where they had these different celebrities and even had like a fan guest commenter um announcer yeah you know so it, they did this little trend of you know popping these people in instead of maybe having like the official host of SummerSlam. so yeah it, it was fun to see but it didn't really add too much either way it's true and we'll touch on a few other ones that happened later it was almost like they were attempting the mania celebrity type deal kind of yeah uh but very few of them hit the mark if any so we'll move on to this United States Championship. It's all the champion Sheamus taking on Damian Priest. Another one that was just a, a solid match. Nothing, not a barn burner. Nothing crazy here. We saw some technical holds very early on. And then a couple high spots I think we should point out throughout this match because it was solid. It was a solid match. Sheamus, at this stage in his career, is just putting on solid, you know, three four-star matches like none of them rock the house none of them right. are gonna like totally tear the crowd down and be this insane thing but he doesn't really put on bad matches and damian priest still kind of in the early days of his main roster uh experience so good stuff all around but let, let's talk about some of the highest spots some of the big things i think sheamus uh you know taking control throwing people into the post we saw a massive bro kick Uh, As Damian Priest tried to jump off the top rope, that was pretty big. But maybe the biggest spot for the whole match was a botch. Yeah, there's a couple of them in this one. Yeah, and the botch that in particular would be Damian Priest trying to do like a front flip attack on Sheamus. So Sheamus is outside of the ring. Damian bounces off the ropes, then puts his foot on the second rope to flip over to the outside And it just kind of looked like he didn't quite get enough maybe like bounce or extension on it. And he came up short and he took a nasty hip bump. Yeah, he barely got past the ring apron. Yeah. And so it was almost like slow-mo because you saw it as soon as he went up and he's so big. But he just got no forward trajectory. (laughs) And so he hit short and Sheamus wasn't even that far away, which makes it even more, you know, kind of uh, obvious that it happened because Sheamus was only a few feet off the apron himself. Yeah. And man, yeah, he just squarely hit his tailbone and it looked like he like bruised his ass. You know what I mean? Like when everybody's done it where you just hit your tailbone on the ground or something and you're like, ah, like you're just in that spot. It looked like that happened to him. (laughs) It it absolutely did. It looked like, 
it I wouldn't be surprised if yeah he's got like a Joe Flacco bruise up the whole left side of his body this morning. Yeah. But eventually they found their way back into the ring. We saw a big spinning kick off the top rope from Damian Priest. We saw a few, you know, Sheamus does his little choke drops. We saw some of those. We saw a nice headbutt from Sheamus. I have to point out the headbutt from Sheamus got a replay. Yeah. And and on the replay, Corey Graves goes, listen to the impact. But there was no sound on the replay. (laughs) So I was like, uh, you know, I don't know if that was technical difficulties or Graves said the wrong thing. But it just it just made for kind of a, a chuckle moment for me. That's exactly what happened. And what made it even funnier was that after that all happened and played out that way, he goes, well, it was much louder in person. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he totally caught that that did not work out the way he was open. Yeah. And and he tried to save it. Um, I do think that the the spinning heel kick by Priest off the top rope was impressive because, you know, he's like six seven, six yeah. eight. So and he he's got like seventeen feet legs. Yeah. Like they're just his le- he's all legs. He's all legs. Yeah. So to get that big, you know, spinning heel kick it just looked like a freaking helicopter propeller coming around the side of it for sure but there was another botch that that almost looked really ugly where Seamus went for a power bomb on priest and then priest countered it into a hurricane rana mm-hmm. and i don't know if it was because of the fact that priest is so tall and maybe you know his head naturally is like already on the apron as soon as he leans back but when when that happened like it looked like uh, Priest got planted on his head. Oh. You know, like it just looked like it, he didn't land right, you know, and that could have almost been another bad spot. But they persevered, you know. It, it probably was one of those things that just looked worse than it felt. But yeah. after the back bump outside, you're, it was just like, ooh, man, this young guy's getting beat up. Yeah, he's getting, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Damien's not a young guy. He's older. Well, like, yeah, I guess yeah. On the roster, he's young, but yeah, yeah on the yeah on the roster, he's yeah. young. But as like a you know, he's in his late thirties, early forties because he had been wrestling for a while and made made it to NXT and now WWE a little later in his career. That's a good call out. Yes, yep. but he he is a relative young guy on the roster. So to finish off the match, Sheamus had Damian Priest in a bit of a knee lock on the ground, not quite a figure four, but it kind of looked like a figure four. One thing to note is Seamus has broken his nose over the past couple of months, so he's wearing a mask right now. During this knee lock, Damien rips off the mask, protecting Seamus's broken nose, and that kind of sends Seamus in a tizzy. It swings the momentum back in Priest's way, and then he gets a series of offense in. It all ends with the reckoning, which is kind of his swinging DDT-type finisher, and then he ends up getting the win and his first WWE championship. Yeah, I was happy to see that, especially after what we talked about in Mania. When we did the Mania recap, and we were talking about how well he did in that match against Miz and Morrison, and you know, working with Bad Bunny and kind of carrying that side of the match. Sure, he really has has maintained that momentum, unlike a lot of the other folks that we've seen come from NXT up to the main roster who have just kind of stalled immediately or just gone nowhere. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason, he's been able to persevere. He's been on Raw, you know, pretty much every week. No, he hasn't been on Raw every week. Maybe. Well, recently. He's well, been recently. on Raw recently, he, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think he had the big match at Mania, and then what ended up happening is he disappeared for a bit, and it was like, okay, he got this momentum with Bad Bunny, 
And it's odd because when he does come back, he definitely keeps the momentum. They keep the hype around him that he's an important figure. But then he does these weird things where he disappears for like two weeks. Hmm. No, maybe I didn't catch that because I felt like I was seeing him seeing him on Raw. Maybe it was more I'm just thinking the, the last couple of weeks building into this SummerSlam match versus right after Mania. But that either is way, fair. That is fair. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, but either way, really what I was getting at, though, was just to see him, you know, go from that Mania match now into a solo title match here and get the win. I just like that trajectory because he does seem to have a lot of promise. He's very, he's pretty good in ring. He's entertaining. He's got a cool character. So, yeah. you know, I think he could have a good little run here as U.S. champ. I would like to see him to keep building, but that, that's my thing. So, you know, my critique on WWE with Damian Priest is make sure he is on every week. Because if you're going to keep that momentum going, I need to see him every week. And they've done it successfully somehow, despite not having him on every week. They brought him, he went away, they brought him back for this feud with Sheamus. And now he's really starting to build. So hopefully he continues all of that momentum into the fall. But we're going to continue our momentum along here. Because up next was a promo package for WWE 2K22. WWE video games took a break last year after the dumpster fire that was 2K20, and they're back with a new game, and that new game is coming out in March of 22. Are you are you hyped for this? Do you think you'll get it, or do you think you'll wait to see what the reviews look like? I think after the last few years, and especially after 2K20, you absolutely have to wait for the reviews. Like, I do want to get hyped for it. You know, you and I, we, we're the kinds of folks, like, we don't play every year, but, you know, every couple years, pick it up. Yeah. Get that fixed, have it in the catalog to play when it comes up. And, you know, I think that after what happened with 2K20 and how bad it was, you know, we just got to really see, like, did they hit the reset button? Does it really hit different yeah. as they are promoting? <laughs> but I think I was actually watching that promo last night that they played and was thinking to myself, the AEW video game is coming out yeah. at some point, too. And maybe this one will get there before then. We haven't seen a release date for the AEW game, but that's looking kind of promising from what they've shown so far. So, yeah. But really, the new WWE game has to hit the mark because if it doesn't, and, you know, I'm going to be all over AEW. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's going to sure. be the wrestling game I play. Well, and I say not to get totally sidetracked, but AEW's video game is being made by THQ, which used to make the WWE games that we all remember and love. Yes. And then they moved away from it. So kind of like a little perfect storm for AEW on that side of things. They've they've built themselves as the wrestling that we all remember. Right. You know, the, the people of our generation. And now they're hitting the same stride with their video games. So it'll be interesting to see. Competition's a good thing, man. You yep. know, like oh, they, yeah. they better be looking at it on the WWE side and saying, like, this game has to hit the mark. Otherwise, they're going to really probably lose some folks to the AEW game side. For sure. So our next matchup, though, is the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. It is the champions, the Usos, taking on the Mysterios, Dominic and Ray. The classic father-son duo. As far as the match goes, this one did pick up the speed compared to the rest of the matches that we had seen so far. They were all a little slower, slugfest. This one really brought the speed out the gate with Jimmy and Ray, like, just picking it up. And it's kind of funny because I saw this thing where they were talking about, I don't think the Usos, like, Jimmy and Jay and Ray Mysterio are physically capable of having a bad wrestling match. But as far as everything else that took place here, I don't know how I feel. Please just make the Usos go away. 
<laughs> like I'm so over the Usos and then, you know, the out of ring stuff and just seemingly never making a difference and whether or not they'll put them on TV. I'm just over it. I'll, I'll just throw that out there. But I thought it did start out okay, and then it slowed down a ton. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not opposed to that in tag team wrestling. Like, the Usos showed their veteran prowess and kept Dominic from being able to tag Ray for a good chunk there. You know, they cut the ring in half. and Sure. And that's always good in a tag team match, but it kind of slowed everything way down and felt like it just kind of took me right back to, like, the pace that we were getting from before. And so that I didn't like as much. It did create a really nice pop, though, when Dominic was finally able to give Ray the hot tag. For sure. And that's kind of how my my notes are laid out exactly the way you described it. It started out hot, but then all of a sudden when Dominic got brought in, the veterans took advantage of the young kid and beat him up for a while. Then we got the hot tag. And then once the hot tag happened... Ray and all hell broke loose. We saw yeah. a, a pretty solid, and that's what I meant by like it's hard to, for Ray Mysterio to have a bad match. Like I'm talking physically, athletically, wrestling wise. It's very, you know, he's just so impressive. Even at his age, we had a great back and forth sequence between he and Jimmy. We saw super kicks and six one nines and hurricane ranas. We saw Ray go to the top rope for a frog splash and give a little Eddie shimmy. Yeah. That was really nice <laughs> to see. Ultimately, he didn't hit that frog splash because he went for it, and Jay got the knees up. That reversed control of the match, which allowed Jay to start laying in some offense. That whole sequence culminated in Jay delivering a big splash on Ray's spine, rolling him over, and he gets the pin. The Usos retain, they are still champions, and the bloodline is still holding on to that piece of their championships. Yeah, I kind of expected it more more so just because of the Roman aspect and their their little faction that they've got right now. I didn't like that Dominic pretty much disappeared. Yeah. Like after he did that tag, he was just gone. Like he never came back. And and we didn't really get much out of like Dominic and Ray from a tag team perspective. No. You know, it was kind of just one or the other fighting the Usos as a tag team. And I think that's unfortunate. Like I know Dominic's not his dad right now, but he's he's shown some promise and he's got some athleticism. Yeah. And you would hope that working with a legend like Ray Mysterio, you know, would take him to that next level. Um, but maybe just with the timing and, and the slot and everything like that, like that was really what I felt was kind of missing out of this. Yeah. It was like two separate handicap matches instead of a tag team match. That then that is fair. That that's totally fair. I think the one Dominic thing in this match was he did a dive to the outside very early on. Yeah, that big cross body, I think. Big right? cr- yeah, big cross body. That was a follow up to Ray doing the baseball slide. So both Usos were on the outside of the ring down and Ray went off the ropes and did a uh, headfirst baseball slide underneath the third rope to the outside and landed on both Usos. Then when they stood up, Dominic finished it off with a cross body, but that was very early on in the match. And outside of that, he, he didn't really do much. The only thing for me with Dominic is I try to remind myself that he's still very green That's true. and that he debuted a year ago or so, but he spent the majority of his career in the Thunderdome with no fans. Yeah. And so now that we're back with fans, maybe it's a little intimidating for him. But either way, you you would like to see a little more growth if he's going to get that tag team championship spot. Exactly. We won't beat it to death and we'll keep moving on here to a very strange 
set of segments as we had Tiffany Tiffany Haddish interviewing Damian Priest in the back over his U.S. championship win. That was what it was. But then we moved on to Rick Bugues coming out and doing a guitar solo called Interlude. And basically, he just played Shinsuke Nakamura's theme song on his guitar, which he's been doing for weeks. But that's really all it was. It was like two minutes of him playing on the guitar. Nakamura came out with his newly won Intercontinental Championship. And he and Pat McAfee just kind of air guitared and rocked out in front of the announcer's booth for two minutes. Yeah, this was so bizarre because I I remember being like, I didn't realize Shinsuke was on the card. Yeah. And, you know, Rick Boogs is doing his thing. And then they do this whole, the whole entrance. And then they went right into the promo video for Bianca and Sasha. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell just happened? Like, what was the point? Like, King Nakamura versus nobody here? Like, why did we even need this? Yeah. And on top of that, like, I think I texted you. I was questioning if Rick was even playing the guitar this time. Like he definitely does, yeah. And he has a lot when in the other events on Raw and stuff, when he, or SmackDown, whatever it's been when they come out. But here, like I was just looking, and I play guitar, so I kind of have a little bit of an insight. But like just looking at how his hands were, the notes, and then the fact that it was all violin in the audio this time. Like I yeah. think he might have just been playing air guitar too. Yeah, they were all air. <laughs> And so it made even less sense. Like, okay, like if you're going to give him as like Elias moment, just have a cool moment for the crowd, you know, get go get a beer, then okay. But I'm like, was he even playing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very, very odd. It was odd indeed. But that also leads into the next segment, which was very odd. It was a strange 30-minute piece for WWE, leading from the interview to the guitar solo to Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks as it was billed to be for the SmackDown Women's Championship. We were getting that rematch from WrestleMania. However, Bianca comes out, and then right before Sasha is about to come out, we get the announcement that Sasha Banks is unable to compete and that Bianca Belair would be competing against Carmella, the new challenger, the same person she wrestled on Friday night at SmackDown and beat so that was a little weird. The crowd did not enjoy it. They were booing it like crazy. I was pissed. I was like, what? Yeah. I mean, stuff happens. You know, people get hurt, right? So, okay. But, you know, like how good Sasha and Bianca were at Mania, how good they've kind of built this match since Sasha came back over the last few weeks. Like, this was a, a close second for what I was most excited for, vying right there with, like, Edge and Rollins. But... But yeah, so when that happened, like it took the, all the wind out of my sails. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I'm I'm going to get to some thoughts that I have on that, because if you've been tracking what's been happening from WWE over the past few weeks, they haven't been wrestling. This match right. has been pulled off. Something is going on with Sasha. I don't know what it is. It could be injury. It could be personal. I don't know. But this match has been pulled off house show cards for the past few weeks. So it. What is about to go down here? And I'm just going to get into it and then I'll double back right before the match is allowed to start. The man's music hits Becky Lynch's music hits and she comes out to a thunderous crowd you know, reaction. It was huge, pop. huge, huge pop as you knew it was going to be when Becky Lynch came back and she comes out. Just stares down. Everybody takes out Carmella, then gets on the mic and says, how about, you know, the man and Bianca Belair tear this mother down. The, the crowd pops. Everyone's all in. Bianca agrees. The bell rings. 
and I'm just going to lay it out here and then we can kind of chat about it. Becky goes for a handshake after the bell rings. Bianca goes to shake her hand. It's a trick. Becky punches her, gets the jump on her, delivers the manhandle slam, and gets the quick pin. Bianca Belair is no longer your SmackDown Women's Championship. And Becky comes back and instantly gets her title. And it it was an odd moment for me, and I feel like it was an odd moment for a lot of fans, because everybody loves Becky Lynch. Everybody wants to see her come back and do big things and return to form. But did it have to be Bianca that took the fall? Yeah, this was absolutely ridiculous. Like, let's just be honest. And so the way it went down right, it was like, okay, bummer, Sasha and Bianca's not going to happen. But then Becky comes out, and so that kind of saved it. Like, okay, this is going to be a triple threat. And I was kind of gearing up for that. I was like, okay, you know, I would have rather Sasha than Carmella, but with Becky, like, mm-hmm. triple threat just makes it more interesting. Not like Carmella's a bad wrestler, you know? So, I mean, this is yeah. oh, yeah. a good Yeah, oh, yeah, a great wrestler. And so it was just like this weird swirl of emotions back and forth as far as what was even happening. And so when they did that and when it went 15 seconds. Yeah. That is all they did. And the manhandle slam is a rock bottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but I was I was fucking pissed. I'm just going to say it. I, I, in my notes, I put right here, WWE can go fuck themselves here. <laughs> Like, I was angered because I'm a huge Bianca Belair fan. She's been doing great over the last, you know, number of months leading into WrestleMania, taking the belt in that amazing match, and then coming out. And so not even giving her the respect to have a match and show off what she can do with another one of the best wrestlers in the world. And and even if she would have had lost, I wouldn't have liked it per se, but at least she could have gone down yeah. in impressive fashion, get put over in the match, the whole nine yards. You know, it would have still been more palatable, whereas this was straight up disrespect, in my opinion. And not only to everything Bianca's done and achieved, I felt disrespected as a fan because this was so freaking reminiscent of nash and hogan from years ago and i know it wasn't the exact same deal yeah but just from how it played out with the hype and the fans and everything and then just to pretty much just you know push her over and and act like you know one move can shut down bianca after all we saw it it it, to me it's going to hurt her character yeah well it makes her look like a doof Right, like exactly. because even if that's the story you go on to tell, is that she caught her by surprise. She wasn't. She wasn't ready. What champion is in the ring at SummerSlam, prepared to defend their championship, agrees to do it, and then isn't ready for the fight? Right. Like it makes her look like a dumb baby face, and not the strong baby face they have portrayed her to be. Exactly. All while they've got all these commercials of her going head and shoulders above the rest, and like making her really kind of this star that she is. Yeah, winning an SB. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I would have much rather them have fought it out, maybe end in a DQ, and then build it into a Survivor Series match, or maybe just the next pay per view match, whatever it may have been. But right. I just thought that this was the wrong move. Unless we find out that Bianca's actually hurt or something to where like she can't have a match and just, you know, bunch of different circumstances it led, but it didn't seem like she wrestled two matches on friday night so yeah right yeah i was gonna say she wrestled on friday night so it's not yeah. it's not that like no it's not yeah that i don't all. think it is i'm just saying like unless something that we don't know at this moment in time 
comes out later this week, you know, it, it just it it was the end of my giving this pay-per-view the benefit of the doubt because leading up to this, as we've alluded to, everything other than that pre-show match for the most part was mediocre. Yeah. And falling flat. And so I thought that this was the moment that was really gonna turn it around. That's you know, Sasha and Bianca match. And man, it just it put me in a mood. <laughs> yeah. No, it was so it was so frustrating. It was so frustrating because they knew my piece with it is they knew Sasha wasn't able to compete. They've known that for weeks now. Like I said, if they've been canceling house shows, they knew Sasha wasn't going to be able to wrestle. It's a good point. So how did you not have a secondary story queued up to be ready? Right. And it's, yeah, it's that's a good point. That's so frustrating to me because it just feels rushed and not planned and classic WWE. And you're like, you had all this time to figure this out, to properly bring Becky back, to properly do this feud. And instead, you, you've essentially ruined all characters. Because now you're either making Becky a heel, which is not what you want to do when you bring her back. She's too hot to be a heel. Or you've made Bianca look weak. Yeah. Which is also not, which completely discredits everything that you've been doing since January when she won the Royal Rumble. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly where I'm at with it. I completely agree. And it's not to say, I guess I should have said this at the beginning like you did. I tweeted this. I love Becky Lynch. She's an amazing wrestler. Yeah. I am happy she is back, but this is not the way I saw it going, and this is not what I wanted because Bianca is right up there with the best of everybody right now, and I I don't even know what else to say. Like, it, yeah. it just, it really pissed me off. The final thing I'll <laughs> say on this, and we'll get there because this is in two matches from now. The Raw title scene, the Raw women's title scene is a show right now. Yeah. It is It is a little weak. And by little, I mean a lot. And it could have very much used an infuse of Becky. Right. So why do this on the SmackDown side of things where things are going well? Do this on the Raw side of things where they need Becky Lynch right now. But instead... We'll get to it, and you'll see what we got there. The only hope, I'll save that for when we get to the women's. like Because there's one sliver of hope that maybe they could tell, and I'm still not happy about that because it would mean cutting out Bianca Belair. But we'll get there. But up next, we had another fanfare moment with some Olympians coming out. We got Tamara, Mensa Stock, and Gable Stevenson. They are gold medalists from the Olympics this year. They came out, and... Little tease from the announcers that we may see them in the WWE down the line. WWE has a history of bringing in former Olympians with success. So hopefully we get a little more of that. Wasn't going to do a deep dive because the next match was Drew McIntyre versus Jinder Mahal. This was just, once again, two big beefy boys kicking the crap out of each other for about five minutes. And but... A bit of a letdown because it's like the same Drew McIntyre match that we've been seeing for probably two years now. Yep. And I actually really like Drew McIntyre, but uh, he we need something new out of him because this wasn't this wasn't good. No, it wasn't good. And it continued, as you mentioned earlier, this block of just weird, bad time in the middle of this pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. That Mensa stock thing. I mean, it was awesome to see them. They got a great ovation, but it was it was just made no sense. Like that, they just came out, you know, yeah, walking around for like ten minutes, um, trying to I guess maybe make people forget what just happened to Bianca. I'm not sure. Well, um, but yeah, this one. It was at this point that I realized that 
the pre-show match was probably the best match of the night so far mm-hmm. because even this one fell flat and you said it was short even though Ginger and and Drew could have had a big hoss powerhouse match they didn't yeah highlight to me was the four belly to belly overhead suplexes that Drew gave to Ginger from each corner that was kind of cool but otherwise yeah it was just a wham bam claymore and pin <laughs> yep Pretty much. And that that was that. We're not going to spend any more time on it. The sword came into play. Drew tried to kill some people at the end, but... Just watching him come over there, it's like he took like a Medrash level swipe. It was yeah. trying to behead that guy, man. <laughs> like, I thought he was going to commit murder, and that was going to be the most exciting match of the night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jinder's lackey versus the great sword. So the great sword, yeah. Yeah, his little goons, they run away. But I'm going to move on because that was just bad. You know, it was a bad set of 30 minutes. Maybe it's because they had to fill time because Sasha got hurt and they couldn't have a full blown match. But either way, it was bad. And we're going to move into some more bad until we get to the good. And that is the <laughs> Raw Women's Championship triple threat between Nikki A.S.H. versus Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. And this one has been going on for a few weeks, uh, mainly between Charlotte and Rhea as they continue their feud out of Mania. And Nikki A.S.H., almost a superhero, has inserted herself with a couple sneak wins and actually finds herself as the champion right now. But basic breakdown of this match was the first few minutes was rotating action between the competitors, everyone getting their spots in and taking control. But sooner or later, Rhea and Charlotte just kind of keep pushing Nikki to the side and being like, can you go lay down and sleep for a little bit? The The wrestlers want to wrestle. And that's not a knock on Nikki because Nikki Cross, Nikki A-S-H, excuse me, can wrestle but clearly they had no interest in her being part of this match everybody just wanted it to be flair ripley yet again and that's mainly how this match played out i think big spot i'm gonna blitz through this one a little bit here chris a couple big spots we saw a corkscrew moonsault out of charlotte that kicked nikki right in the head on the outside yes that was brutal that looked a little brutal uh we saw a reversed double suplex into a double DDT by Flair. So it was Nikki Cross and Rhea Ripley going for the tag team suplex move on Charlotte, but she reversed it. Uh, We did see Nikki Cross with a massive cross body to the outside. There were a couple of the big spots, but in the end, it was the same old ho-hum Ric Flair, Ric Flair. Yep. It was the same same old Charlotte Flair ho-hum figure eight on Nikki getting the tap and her 12th title. Yeah, it was the best match of the night so far, and it was a pretty clean match. It was more entertaining because it was a faster pace match with the triple threat. And so I liked it from that standpoint. I thought it was just a good match overall, but it still felt kind of like a raw match you know it didn't have anything super special to it it didn't have anything that was just like oh my god this is awesome kind of moments to it and so even there and then with the finish you know that's what i'm really getting at is that with the finish it just made all of it still just carry on that meh i know it's a theme i know it's boring here if you're listening but like it just continued to carry on that flat like okay 
Charlotte's champ again. Charlotte's you champ know, nothing again. exciting. Yeah. I expected Rhea to win this, to be honest, and, and Charlotte came out with it. Yeah, and so doubling back to the Sasha or Bianca story, the only thing I can think here is maybe they start a long-term build for Flair versus Becky at Survivor Series and do a legitimate Raw versus SmackDown thing. But if that's not the case, I'm unhappy with Becky winning and I'm unhappy with Charlotte winning. Yeah, we definitely have to see what's going to happen because the other thing too is that now you've got this weird situation where Charlotte and Rhea is almost starting to feel played out. Oh, yeah. They've done that dance a few times already for a couple of different belts, and Charlotte just keeps coming out on top, so, like, why should she even fight Rhea Ripley anymore? Yeah. What what kind of threat is she? Right, and so who else is on the Raw roster that is going to command for that? Like, it feels like, they, yeah, they're setting themselves up into a situation where Becky's the only one that can go against Charlotte, and maybe Charlotte's the only one that can go against Becky. So yeah. everybody else is just going to have to deal with it. And WWE has just put themselves in a, in a bad spot, or kind of across the board here. They've put themselves in a corner with a lot of their stories, and it's just frustrating, which is kind of why, like, yeah, you're right, that was a good match, but I just wanted to blitz through it because the ending just disappointed me so much that it took away from any sort of hype that the match built. Right, and I don't know where they're going to go because of the fact that there's just there's just the lack of interesting aspects to it at this point. Yeah. Are they just going to queue up another rivalry we've seen already? Are they going to try and bring in somebody new? Like Those are the questions that really have to be answered, but with the track record of recent, it, it's not promising to me at this moment in time. Well, even when they bring new people in, they don't do anything. They brought exactly. Zelina, Zelina Vega just came back like a month ago, and she's already losing all the time it's like where's the interest how am i supposed to believe in anything charlotte versus eva marie man that's what it's got to be that's what it's got to be yeah it's saved by eva marie evolution evolution sure 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 but <laughs> let's move on instead of evolution to edge illusion and that of course is edge versus seth rollins this one with a lot of hype there's a Big backstory going here, dating back almost 10 years when Seth Rollins had Edge's neck pinned down on his money in the bank all those years ago. This one came out with some fantastic intros, specifically Edge's intro, where he brought back the brood entrance coming up from underneath the stage with the flames and the sunglasses and the brood music. Then he comes down the ramp pauses lights go out and his normal theme hits and i gotta say this tops any combo entrance music i've ever heard before <laughs> that includes the whole x-pac cane bit from when we were younger this is the best mashup intro theme i've ever heard it worked and it was super exciting to see the bloodbath or the brood bath the other night leading into this and then him coming out full brood entrance i was super pumped it got pops on the internet across the board and his gear was so on point that oh, yeah. jacket the coloring you know drink the blood written on the side and everything like that it, it was the most exciting moment of the night at that point by far for sure for sure and then once we got in the ring, it was a dream match that we've wanted. You know, when Edge came back, we wanted certain dream matches of current big stars going up against this legend of Edge. And I think this 
story they told played out perfectly in that manner, especially because they were trying to tell this tale of Rollins is kind of this generation's edge as far as look and ability, maybe not necessarily character wise, but maybe some also with the opportunistic, you know, yeah, there's some similarities there. Yeah. And I thought they did really well there, even down to the ring gear, almost being the exact same and kind of mimicking each other with the pants. But very early on, it was just classic wrestling tennis, but with some extreme shots. And they both got a little unhinged. They both started to frazzle the hair a little bit and get a little crazy. Seth may have had a slight advantage in the early going. He hit a massive, massive frog splash. He He's not Montez Ford, but he does get some height on those. He looked like Montez Ford with that one. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly the note I put down was he got a little, it looked like maybe personal best height on that one. Like he was up there and, and that's what it invoked was, was Montez Ford's just insane frog splash. But that was a good one. I also liked when Edge hit Rollins um, with the Beth Phoenix glam slam. Oh, yeah. Yep. That happened a little later in the match. (laughs) A little later, yeah. A little later in the match uh, because we saw some pretty solid storytelling where Seth had the advantage, but Edge was always doing these very subtle little things to save himself either from not taking the full brunt of the hit or rolling out of the ring right at the right time so he couldn't get pinned. And it it was just really well done. You got to think that's Edge. That's Edge knowing how to tell an in-ring story. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of drama there. And to that point, I really think that Edge is on a completely different level than the rest of the roster. Yeah. Because looking at his body of work since he has come back, whether it's the promos or the in-ring, I mean, he is just telling different levels of stories. He's more believable. He's more natural at it. And I think that, you know, some would say, oh, it's just nostalgia of the Attitude Era. But I think that it actually just goes to show that intensity and, I don't know, there's just a difference in believability oh, yeah. from everything that Edge is doing versus what you see from the bulk of the younger guys and the rest of the roster. Whether that's a trust factor that Vince has in him versus maybe what they allow the younger guys to do, I don't know. But it just, everything he's doing, like, you feel like that's him. Like, it's real life, it's him, it's, it's how he is on his day-to-day, and he's not just acting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I completely agree. I think he's just a top notch professional wrestler. I think he he put in his craft when he was a young man. He learned he learned how to both in ring storytell, out of ring storytell, and he just is one of the greatest of all time. And we're really getting to see him come back in that light in not his prime, but still able to tell those types of stories in ring and not look like an old man or like not be fully capable like and i don't want to knock on the undertaker but in the later years the undertaker couldn't quite physically do sure what he was able to do as a younger man but edge still can i yeah 100 percent. i think edge has completely set the bar for what it takes to be the best in the world Ooh. If you know, you know on that one, folks. If you know, you know. But we're going to keep moving (laughs) along here with a few other big spots in this match. We saw Edge take, you know, Edge deliver a swinging neck breaker off the top rope. It took a little long to set up, but in the end, it looked pretty cool. We also saw the classic Seth superplex roll up into another suplex Falcon Arrow with a close two count. 
Edge broke out of a pedigree to deliver that glam slam later in the match. That was super cool. But then to on the flip side of that, we saw another counter where Edge goes for a spear. Yeah. And Seth Rollins turns it into a pedigree. That, that was, was a really sweet cool. twist. Yeah, that yeah. was really cool. So <laughs> he I, didn't quite hit it. Like you could tell. Like I think if you were familiar enough with the pedigree, yeah, you could tell what he was doing because the way they landed and he had the knees, like he got the landing right. He didn't quite get the arms the way you would expect, just with the speed of the spear. Mm-hmm. But that definitely made me take note. And I think even one of the announcers was just like, that was one of the most innovative things I've <laughs> seen. Like, we we may have never seen that move before. Yeah. And and that had me kind of thinking, because you, you think, like, Triple H fought a lot of guys that threw spears. Yeah. You know? So, like, how did that never actually happen? Maybe go back and check the tape to see if it had. But I, I thought it was fresh, and it was new to me, at least. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, he fought Edge, for goodness sake. So That's what I'm saying, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, he, he fought in the era when every dude did a spear. So, I, yeah, you're su- it's surprising. That's what I'm saying. But it continues on here. These guys just putting on a clinic. We saw Rollins go for a corkscrew moonsault. He missed. And then when he missed, he rolled over and then came back and got hit with a spear. That was fantastic. A lot of... Very, very close two counts through all of this. Right. Uh, And then it all culminates towards the end as Seth takes a few shots on Edge's neck. Sets him up to go for the stomp, but then it gets reversed into the educator. Yeah, he brought that. Yeah. Yeah, Edge brought the educator back, which was kind of wild. He brought like a few of his older moves back, which I thought was pretty sweet. He got he has Seth locked into a submission we get that great submission type drama where is he going to tap is he going to make it to the rope we don't know and eventually he breaks out but then what edge ends up doing is locks in the crossface again for another set of submission drama rollins breaks out of the crossface edge then goes ballistic and just starts slamming (laughs) Seth's head repeatedly into the mat which looked brutal i mean that was well sold all around then he locks in the sleeper and rollins has no chance after three tight submissions and getting his head beat into the ground he has to tap edge takes the win and continues just being on fire since returning yeah and really looking at the entire body of work here from the moment the brood music hit uh, to the end of this match i actually thought it was a really good kind of shadow story that edge told of like his entire Mm -hmm. career like his entire journey from the beginning through to some of those moves to his wife's move and the glam slam yeah and then that part really is what i'm getting at where he was slamming rollins face into the ground i mean it was very reminiscent of him and daniel bryan headbutting each other in the triple threat at mania but he gave that you know little bit of difference, that little bit of twist, and so I, I just thought that that was kind of a cool thing. That once we got to the end of this match, putting it all together, like he he planned it all just so perfectly. Well, and I'm gonna give a little bit of kudos to Seth Rollins because we it's very obvious to see that on Edge's side. But Seth Rollins' career is shorter, but he also did the exact same thing. True. We yeah. saw Seth Rollins bust out all of his moves. He, You know, the pedigree, the stomp. He did his the Phoenix 
uh, flip. He ended up missing it, but he went for the the Phoenix flip that he does off the top rope. The the name of that move is is missing me right now. The frog splash. So like they really told a great story. Like they had set up that Seth is the edge of this generation. Yeah, and like and then once again in ring storytelling masterclass. Just well done to both. Probably match of the night. I think it's fair to say before we even get into Easy. get into the rest of them. This was this was the match of the night. Yeah, it was well executed. The storytelling was far and away better than any of the other matches. I, I think I totally agree. Yeah, but we will go ahead and get into the rest of the matches on the night because we have three matches left. Two matches left. Excuse me. One for the WWE Championship and one for the Universal Championship. In between that, we did get an announcement of the attendance, which was 51,326. That is a lot of people. It's a lot of people, but it was also a lot smaller than I expected because that stadium, at least like from the outside and just the views, it looks as big as Jerry World. Oh, yeah. And so I thought, especially with four layers of fans, like I mentioned earlier and everything, I I was expecting 70, 80, 90,000, but... Maybe COVID factors into how many tickets they were able to sell, but still a really big crowd for COVID pandemic days. <laughs> and, that, and I think that that's exactly what I was going to say. COVID pandemic days mixed with the Pacquiao fight also being yeah, in Vegas. There's true. So it was a lot of people for that was the point I, I think I wanted to make. There was coming out of the Thunderdome era. It's a lot of people. So, yeah. you know, hopefully things normalize and we start to see these big crowds again. Then we got a little Ms. Morrison dripstick 2000 action with Woods. This one Woods needs to be making a lot of money. That that's all I can say is I hope all of these guys for as goofy as situations as they put themselves in and the dumb stuff that they're asked <laughs> to do. I hope they're all getting very well paid. Yeah, it was just another moment that's like, okay, if you're going to do this stuff on a Raw or SmackDown, fine. But there was no need to even waste this time. And the true MVP of this whole, like, five-minute span was Xavier Woods' ring attire. Oh, yeah. He was rocking custom Scott Hall, New Day order, you know, red and black attire. Had the hair done just like the bad guy. Little razor blades all over the tights. Like, it was just an amazing tribute to Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, and so to me, that was all I was focused on. I I wasn't even interested in Johnny Drip Drip. Yeah, although I like Johnny Drip Drip, but you're right. And they have the oh new, sure, just yeah, in this moment, <laughs> just in this moment. And the New Day has new T-shirts. They have new T-shirts that are red, kind of NWO Wolfpack, and mm-hmm. has the New Day rocks instead of the NWO. It, it was pretty pretty sweet, pretty sweet. But we'll move on to the WWE Championship, which was Bobby Lashley versus Oldberg. It was about a 20-minute segment, and yes, I did say Oldberg there, not Goldberg, because this I, I'm so sick of seeing Goldberg. It's getting painful. It, it's bad. He it's awful. Like, and I don't I don't want to blame him. I want to blame the situations he's been put in. But this match somehow went too long. I don't know how that's possible with a Goldberg match. Right. It was about a 20-minute segment. Between seven minutes of intro and a seven-minute match and the weird stuff that happened afterwards with Goldberg's kid, this one should never have gone more than 30 seconds. It should have just been Bobby Lashley spearing Goldberg, dropping him on his noodle, pinning him, leaving. Goodbye, Goldberg. But instead, we got this weird, long series of shoulder blocks and body slams and clotheslines and lockups and 
Lashley going for a jackhammer, but Goldberg blocking it. It, it was just so frustrating. And then to end the story of it all, Goldberg, beast monster Goldberg that we've been told that he is for 30 years, takes a cane to the back of the knee and it hurts so bad that he can't stand on it and the ref has to call the match. Let's clarify. He takes a cane to the knee that MVP messes up to where he didn't even realize it happened at first. If I actually went back yeah. and watched it this morning again. And so, like, he, MVP kind of gets a bad swing from the outside. It, like, taps him in the back of the knee. Yeah. He doesn't react right away. And then, like, a second or two later, he's like, oh, my knee. My knee. And, yeah. and, and then, you know, of course, Bobby does take a few more minutes to target the knee. So it wasn't like that was the only thing that's going to play into what you're about to say. Yeah. But still... Go ahead and say what happens next. <laughs> oh, well, no, that was it. He targets the knee, so he does a few chop blocks, and he takes him down. And Goldberg is just unable to compete. And that's that's kind of the story that I was getting to there, that it's so frustrating. How can you build him up to be yeah. this insane Goldberg? Like, I'm next, and this beast monster that's going to flatten every competitor, even at 55 years old, in two seconds flat, and then he gets taken out by a knee tap on a, from a cane. It just pisses me off so much. I'm assuming that he just wanted to teach his kid how to sell, since that's not in his historical catalog. Because, uh. like, I, I did write down here that I thought that, like, Goldberg sold more last night on that knee than he has anything else in 30 years. <laughs> Like it, <laughs> that, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, like I, I was with you. I couldn't believe it. It was, it was dumb. It waited too long. The after attacks after the match was called off, I guess, or whatever on the knee just seemed even less necessary because we all know Goldberg's going to come back. So I was almost like, are they playing a story where now Goldberg's going to be gone for a while and like get older? I don't know. It just didn't line up as to why that was happening. None of it made sense. So, yeah, I guess we should get into what happened after the match because the match gets called off. Lashley, not happy about it, grabs a chair and continues to beat down on Bill after the match anyways. Then we see Gage Goldberg run in to help his dad. And Lashley, in what MVP goes on to describe as Lashley didn't know that it was Gage. He didn't know that it was Goldberg's son that jumped on his back. Because Lashley just whipped him around, put him in the hurt lock, and just ragdolled him until Gage went down. Yeah. And MVP was like, oh my god, you gotta stop, you gotta stop, it's a kid, it's a kid. And then... Gave him, like, the legal disclaimer to the crowd. Yeah, like, he didn't know, and I don't know how old Goldberg's son is, I guess he's, like, mid-teens. I think he's, like, 16 or so, like, high school. He's worn a high, uh, high school baseball shirt, you know, uh, to yeah, one of the true. events before and stuff, so I'm assuming junior senior maybe something like that tops maybe something like that but either way mvp gets on the mic he makes excuses and then they start to leave and as they're making excuses that's when goldberg starts to wake up and he sees that his son is on the other side of the ring down and out so he army crawls over to his son and lays over him <laughs> and it just it was cringy man the whole thing was cringy well, and then he finishes it by, like, getting up to the one rope and, and literally screaming at Bobby Lashley, I'm going to kill you! Like, <laughs> yeah. no questions asked. I am going to kill you! <laughs> yeah, which, 
Oh, well, I'm going to double back. He damn near did in the match True. when he tried to toss Lashley, who was on the top rope. He tried to do an overhead toss, and it looked like Lashley tried to leap into Goldberg's arms, and then Goldberg needs to finish it by rotating him over. But Goldberg didn't rotate him over enough, and Lashley almost landed on his head. He almost died. I wrote in my notes, Goldberg has damn near killed two wrestlers now since coming back five years ago. Pretty much anybody he steps into the ring with, there's at least one moment where you think that that guy's going to end his career. Yeah. Yeah, it just was bad. It was pointless again. And now we have this like whole new era of Goldberg where we have to figure out what what it even means. Like, you yeah. know, does he sell now? Like, is he indestructible? It, it kind of kills his whole mystique. The little bit that they use to even bring him in. Yeah. And then the kid thing, I they've been doing the spots with the kid now, I think two or three times over a couple of events. And I guess if Dominic Mysterio and, and Ray wasn't a thing that we've seen for the last, you know, year, I wouldn't mind it so much. Like, right. Props to gauge Goldberg. And if he can be a wrestler, then good. You know, like if, yeah. if that's what he wants to do and this is all a thing, but otherwise, like I don't need another father son storyline mm-hmm. in WWE right now. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think the big takeaway from all of it, and I WWE should react to this in some way, the crowd popped so loud when Bobby Lashley got Gage into the Hurt Lock. Oh. They were literally cheering. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> like the crowd was cheering for Bobby Lashley, this grown man, to choke out this teenager. And I'm like, you're in some dangerous territory here, WWE. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, the crowd was cheering. The crowd was cheering it. And I'm like, that that's not okay. Like, you can't go down that path. <laughs> People want to see Goldberg so little that they want you all to maim his child so he can never come back. That's right? that's what's going on here. <laughs> it's just a dangerous precedent I think they're setting. And I, I hopefully they can course correct and get it figured out. I, I don't know how you... You never want to see this is how Goldberg goes out because he has been this monster for the industry. Yeah. But, man, do they need to figure out a way to to write him off to the sunset. Well, right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, we don't even know what's going to happen next. Like, is he just going to come back for the next pay-per-view and miraculously be fine? Is he going to have to go heal up for nine months on an ACL injury and then we're going to have to deal with all this again next year. You know, I, it, I just don't see any real smooth road where this works out in a positive way. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I, we'll see. And the, the worst part about it all is historically WWE does not do well with long-term story. Exactly. So you can't even trust them to do this properly. Which no, they is, get like one out of 20, right? <laughs> yeah. There's also the frustration, you know, maybe we'll save this one for the end with the frustration with a lot of this moving out of SummerSlam. But let's go ahead and move into the final match of the night, and that is Roman Reigns versus John Cena for the Universal Championship. John Cena coming back from his Hollywood days to take on the Tribal Chief, the leader of the bloodline, the head of the table, Roman Reigns. And I, John Cena came out with probably the best set of merch we've ever seen from John Cena. To the point where I know I texted you and I said, damn it, I'm going to have to buy a John Cena shirt because that shirt was awesome. 
Yeah, everything about it. The shirt, the hat, you know, the 16-up retro Mario Mushroom Life-looking, <laughs> you know, logo. The the Super Mario 3 shirt, all of that was really solid. I, I do think, you know, after seeing some of our group chat texts this morning, though, it is interesting that CM Punk for a while has had a shirt very similar to that out there and available. So this wasn't an entirely original design. Oh, so I didn't that, know that. That seemed interesting. Yeah, Matt sent a thing to the group chat this morning and and showed something from CM Punk. Dang, I did not know that at all. So hmm. Yeah, neither did I. We but will last have night to see. seeing that gear, I, I thought it was pretty sweet. All the titles on the back, you know, made it a little bit better. Yeah, I'm just now pulling this up. Yep, that is even the down to the little animated character that oh, is yeah. a, a knockoff of Super Mario flying through the air. Wow. Oof. We will shots see. Fired. Shots fired. <laughs> shots fired. But I, I think at this point, John Cena is whatever. John Cena d- loves wrestling. It's in his heart, but yeah. he, his eye is somewhere else. <laughs> but let's get to the match. It was a bit of a slow start with a lot of mind games and lockups and shoulder tackles early on. We saw Cena do a couple quick takedown attempts. And that was kind of how the whole first 10 minutes of this 20 minute or so match went was Roman Reigns really beating up on Cena and Cena just trying to go for surprise roll-ups or surprise pins and just get a shock because that was the story being told. Cena just needed to beat Roman. He just needed to pin Roman to get that 17th title win. It's true, but it didn't work. Like, in my opinion, this match was boring. Oh. I was struggling watching the beginning of this match. Like, I actually 100% fell asleep (laughs) during this match. Because the whole beginning was, yeah, it was just Roman stalking Cena. Cena seemingly seeming like he forgot how to wrestle outside of doing those quick roll-ups. You know, I know it had been more than 500 days since he'd been on a pay-per-view, but like John Cena is one of the greatest of all time. He can do almost anything athletically. Like, How was this not a drag-out, knock-down slugfest between the two guys? I just don't understand where that mentality was. Like, yes, all Cena had to do was just roll him up to get the win. That's how all matches work. Right. But you're still John Cena. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so just how slow it played out, it was reminiscent of when Brock just murked him, you know, at SummerSlam a couple years ago, and he did, like, nothing but just show up. And and I know that it did get a little bit better, get picked up a little bit after the midway point, but... I actually woke up like 20 minutes after the pay-per-view ended to a Bobby Lashley doctor documentary and was like, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dang. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So I had to go back and finish it because it it was just that dull. I'm not, it sucks. Like this is how it went. I was super pumped for SummerSlam, man, but the whole card adding up and then just this, that late at night, man, it just burned me out on this one. Didn't do it for me, you know? I'll admit I was fading around this point in the night because, it, you know, after the kickoff show and everything, we're at the five hour mark here. And right. we've talked about that time and again, that is brutal. It is hard to sit and watch wrestling for six hours. It's it's even on a good pay-per-view. It's hard to do. Right. And so this slow start of them just kind of exactly. I'm glad you, you put it, it. It was very reminiscent of the SummerSlam from years ago where Brock just came in and took Cena to Suplex City the origins of Suplex City and Cena just fighting any way he could to get back around this halfway point. It did pick up. Cena starts to fight back a touch and, and gets Roman slightly tired. 
And I think a, a criticism I've always had of Roman is his selling goes from zero to a hundred. Yeah. He either doesn't <laughs> sell at all or like he gets punched out of nowhere and he's completely exhausted. And I wish he could kind of strike a balance there because I'm starting to come around, especially with the tribal chief character, that he's a better wrestler than I've ever given him credit like of being. But I think it's this weird selling technique that he has that like he literally goes from beating Cena's ass all up and down to getting hit like twice. And he got hit like with a couple AAs and all of a sudden we were in super close two count territory. Right, right. And it was like there was no there was no progression. And I'm going to you know draw back to the Edge Seth Rollins match where there was like this natural progression where Edge was it went from like one counts to edge avoiding to then the two counts, then the super close two counts. And it was just perfect. It, it just felt like Cena reigns was, you know, all on the gas to, oh, I'm totally beat up to all on the gas to, oh, I'm beat up. And I just wish there was a little more balance to how they laid out the match, because as we got into this point, we we did see some back and forth as as who was taking control of the match. And we saw some pretty cool spots. We saw some Superman punches with misses, AA attempts with misses. We saw a massive second rope AA, which was pretty cool. But in the end, it, it kind of ended with these two guys being exhausted on the ground. Cena gets to his feet first. He then quotes his own music and says my time is now i thought that was pretty funny (laughs) goes for a move roman counters they start to exchange big haymakers at this point i don't know if it was just like we want this to be over but the crowd got kind of invested in the haymakers i don't know where we see a double superman punch cena goes down stumbles back to his feet roman delivers the ooh ah spear and we do we do get the one, two, three, and Roman wins and stands tall. Not the best match. I, I think the back half of the match didn't make up for the first half of the match, but maybe made it so it wasn't a one star. It wasn't like a total show. Yeah. It was just kind of like, but once again, as the as we've been saying all throughout this pay-per-view, it was a raw match. Right, yeah, it didn't really fully deliver, and I was actually a little disappointed to see that there was a true winner. I was hoping it was going to be more of a DQ, because similar to some of the Goldberg, and Cena's definitely in a different league than Goldberg, but similar to that style, like if you're going to bring a guy like Cena back and put him right in here, really give us something to build to, you know, keep it going. If it wasn't going to end, like, where does Cena go now is what I'm getting at, right. you know? Like, he just lost, but he's supposed to be back long-term, um, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Oh, and see, I kind of forgot that Cena was supposed to be back long term. That's what he said. And especially when they made the announcement that if Roman Reigns lost, he would leave WWE. Right. Yeah. And you knew that wasn't going to happen. And you knew that was going to happen. So that's with a match like that. I skipped over that in the beginning. That frustrates the hell out of me. Right. Because you kind of already get the vibe that Roman's not going to lose this match. But then when you put that stipulation on it, you take all doubt away. Yeah, so I was thinking Cena takes Roman to his limits, but maybe something happens, double count out or whatever, maybe, you know, the Usos come in and, and save him and DQ or something like that. And then, you know, you can continue this build and program into a Survivor Series or something like that. 
And so it just it didn't seem to have a, a viable payoff there. Yeah. And, you know, of course, what happened right afterwards makes it even more confusing as to where we go from here. For sure. So as Chris alluded to, Roman standing tall and then Cena's on the ground and we hear Brock Lesnar's music hit and the beast is back. He comes down to the ring, has a stare off with Roman. Heyman, totally confused, cowering in the corner, not sure what to do with himself. And that is ultimately how the pay-per-view went off the air. So Brock is back with a horrible looking top knot. Roman is confused, not sure what to do. Heyman is even more confused, cowering in the corner, not sure where his allegiances lie, whether it's with his old Brock Lesnar, you know, advocate or his new person he's advocating for in Roman range. We'll see how it goes from this point on. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing out of all of it is Brock and Paul, right? You yeah. know, there is an angle there. Will Paul stay with the head of the table or will he come back with the beast? And so I imagine that could make for a little bit of an interesting storyline. So there's a positive going into the next few weeks and the next pay-per-view. But there's still the Cena thing. Yeah. Like, I just don't understand where Cena fits in now, especially if he's going to be here beyond this match. And maybe it doesn't ultimately matter because, you know, we're going to move on with Brock and Roman for the most part. But it just didn't fit together well. Yeah. And there was it's not a clean transition, in my opinion. It, it kind of just leaves a lot to be desired. Well, and to double down on that, apparently after the show went off the air, Brock Lesnar delivered several German suplexes to Cena in the ring. I don't know if you saw any of that coverage. But what? Yeah. And a, no. a lot of crowd footage and cell phone stuff like that is circulating that after the show went off the air, Cena makes his way back into the ring. But Brock just, you know, goes full suplex city on him. Oh, my God. So, like, not something official. It was just. <laughs> yeah. That, God, that makes no, it makes it even more yeah. confusing. And this is yeah. this is my final point on the whole pay-per-view. And it's my frustration with WWE. Because very similar to what happened at Mania, where I was pissed off that stories were either starting or continuing at your biggest show of the year, your biggest payoff show of the year, that has now happened again with your second biggest pay-per-view of the year. Right. You're not giving us any conclusions. You're only continuing storylines. And that makes it very hard for me to invest in these big pay-per-views. Like, how can you come into these pay-per-views selling me on this massive hype, the biggest party of the summer? You know, this is this year's WrestleMania because we finally have crowds back. Right, yeah. And then you give you deliver in this manner, kind of across the board. I'm not just talking about Cena Reigns. I'm talking about the entire pay-per-view. Oh, 100%. They didn't give us any conclusions. They just kept things trucking along Almost as if this was just a weekly program, and I'm, that's bullshit. Yeah, exactly. It's just utter bullshit. You need to be doing better. You watch the weekly program to get the payoffs in the pay-per-views. That's how it works, yeah. you know, or how it's supposed to work. And here or there, okay, a match or two, like, yeah, sure, especially the undercard matches. That yeah. makes some sense, and that's pretty typical. But these big feuds, yeah, it just makes, it makes less sense, and it is frustrating because... You just don't know then when to tune in or mm -hmm. what's important. Yeah, you don't know. What, yeah, because <laughs> and my thought about all of this is if you are going to do that style thing on a pay-per-view, don't do it on a big four. True. Yeah. Do it on a 
Hell in a Cell, Hell in a cell or Extreme, Extreme Rules, Rules. Yeah, Money in yeah. the Bank. You have all these monthly pay-per-views, Payback, you know, this and that, Judgment Day. Do it on those. Don't do it on don't do it on SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, or Mania. Those are your big four. They've been your big four since the 80s. And it's when you need to deliver the most. Exactly. Don't give me some continuation BS. Well, despite being back in front of a packed Las Vegas crowd, this year's SummerSlam fell flat with what felt like a lack of inspiration and excitement from the roster. Unfortunately, poor booking, mediocre matches, and little to no memorable moments will leave this year's SummerSlam one for the archives with little reason to return for a rewatch. Head over to the GK social pages and let Kyle and I know your thoughts about what went down at the biggest event of the summer. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, go ahead and smash the subscribe button so you never miss a chapter of Geek Catch-Up and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, be sure to follow GK on social media. You can find links to all of our accounts on the show notes below and on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. There's even links to our merch store and Patreon if you'd like to support the show. But as always, remember to stay saucy, you nerds. <laughs>